Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine and sponsored by Steer. Broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We actually will be joined by the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman, for an entire show. What a treat. But first... I want to talk to you about our latest issue of Shale Magazine, in which our cover is Sarah Ortwine, who is the president of XTO Energy, of course, a company, an energy company that's based in beautiful Houston, Texas. This is definitely an issue that you don't want to miss. And we were actually pretty happy and proud to have her on the cover um, as there's just not a lot of women executives uh, in the energy sector. And so we were able to tell her story, talk about the great company XTO, as well as um, just kind of introducing uh, our listenership and our fan base to XTO, the energy company. So be sure to go to shale, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. Again, that's shellmag.com to read the story in its entirety. And now it's time to bring on the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know what's nice is the holiday season. We've had a lot more time with you than normal. And probably, and quite frankly, a lot of it is there's a lot of people traveling. A lot of people are taking off from work. And they and they, they just really don't want to talk about oil and gas. I guess you I and I... I can't even imagine that. Why, why <laughs> do you want to talk about oil and gas? Exactly. I guess we're probably the only two nuts <laughs> that like talking about oil and gas. Everybody else is like, I got to do this for a living. I don't want to talk about it at Christmas time and, and uh, New Year's. But... Uh, I'm glad uh, that you're here because usually when we have you for a full show, we get to talk about a whole lot that we normally don't get to talk about during the year. So I'm glad that you've been hanging around and uh, have been able to join us for a couple of full shows. So I'm always excited about that. Well, let's get started because uh, Rice University um, had some research come out and they issued a new study this week showing that um, there are wide open spaces and vast wind, windy flatlands. Uh, Texas is situated in such a way that it could be possible to replace or could it be possible to replace all of its remaining coal fire plants, which a lot of people have issues with the coal power plants, right? With wind and or solar. So my thoughts are, um, I know we have a house in Rockport and there are just from one end of the spectrum to the other, all you can see are windmills. So there's a lot in, in yeah. South Texas. So what are your thoughts on, is it possible for them to actually replace all of these coal fire power plants? Yeah, Rockport's got uh, the the, the uh, eastern edge of that wind farm that goes all the way from Taft up to Rockport. It's it's amazing. You drive through Taft, and they're just right there by the side of the highway. The big wind. You drove right by my house. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it, it's it's kind of amazing uh, that the coast it turns out is a really good place for wind power, just as West Texas, you know, the flatlands out in West Texas are. Uh, it, it's an interesting study. You know, there are qualifiers to it. Um, 
they talk about the you know the reality that you could of course the the, the Texas coal power power plant fleet has been significantly reduced here over the last couple of years. Limited uh, has retired their three plants, and uh, now CPS is is re- retiring the JT Dealey plant uh, there in San Antonio. Um, and so there's not as much coal-fired uh, power as there was a few years ago, and they, their thoughts are that, you know, you could build enough windmills and put in enough solar uh, stations uh, to replace all that capacity with the caveat, though, that you would still need, as they as they point out in their study, you're still going to have to have more natural gas-fired capacity uh, to fill in when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine. And, and then you're also going to have to have valuable battery storage for the excess power generated by the wind and solar installations, you know, when they're really going strong. And right now, of course, that battery technology doesn't exist. I mean, it's just kind of, at least at this moment in time in our lives, it's the fatal flaw for these renewables is that you, they just are going to have to have a seed change in battery technology to really make it fully viable to truly replace coal and natural gas and nuclear facilities because they just, you can't do baseload power plants of capacity in the power generating sector with renewables right now just because of the lack of storage capability. So, but it is interesting and you know what it points up to is just Texas has a unique situation here in our state and, and the sunny skies and the wide open spaces to do those kinds of things where a lot of other states don't. But, you know, David, one of the things that comes to my mind is looking at this solar wind farm outside of my home, and uh, you can see it uh, from miles and miles. And uh, I also, um, you know, work in San Antonio. So, you know, one is in Corpus, the other is in San Antonio. And San Antonio has one of the largest solar um, areas as well. And both of both of these things, while I am not, uh, I mean, the environment is important, and uh, we, you know, moving into different sources of energy are important and vital. There's also a landscaping issue and land issue that that comes to mind for me. That it's okay. So if if it's not the wind is not blowing, then we have a problem with these huge, huge, uh, you know, windmills that are taking up, you know, just tons and tons and tons of acres and uh, solar is is doing the same on rainy days it's not really amounting to anything any benefit to us so then we have um the natural clean burning natural gas that's coming out of of course um oil rigs and when they're done they're pretty much done from the landscaping permanently um they don't have to remain up the whole time like these other sources of energy do so so talk to me a little bit about that like I can't wrap my mind around that. I know we need it, but it just seems like, why are we not using more of the clean burning natural gas first and foremost, and then look into those since they use so much land mass? Well, you know, and a lot of it has to do with economics. There are uh, tax rebates for wind and solar installations that uh, these utility companies can take advantage of. So it can be very economically attractive you know, where it's feasible for, for a company like CPS to replace at least parts, a significant part of its capacity uh, with wind and solar. But you notice that when CPS several years ago announced they were going to close the JT Dealey plant this year or at the end of 2018, 
they bought that 400 megawatt capacity natural gas fired plant in Seguin. I can't remember the name of it. And so when you look at that, that's 400 megawatts of, of generating capacity, that giant wind farm you're talking about down there between Taft and, and Rockport doesn't generate half that much capacity. Um, but that whole natural gas plant there in Seguin occupies, what, 10 or 12 acres of land where uh, each each windmill, each of the big windmills occupy that many acres of land. And so it does become a land-constraining factor where wind particularly is concerned because you have to have so many acres of land to to install a wind farm that you know of any real size. And so that's why West Texas, you know, the the flat plains out there in, in the West Texas desert where the wind blows a lot of the time is, is very attractive for wind power. But uh, yeah, you're right. You know, acreage uh, in addition to the battery question, the acreage problem is a uh, is a real constraint on wind power. And, you know, I'm glad we're talking about it because I think we, um, you know, community-wise don't really understand. We just hear a lot of great uh, PR on mainstream media about we need to move to solar, we need to move to wind. And, and, and I am for all energy sources, not just oil and gas. But when I look out at, out coming into either my house uh, at the coastline and I see that a lot of these times these windmills are not working they're not operating a few of them are some of them aren't and then I would imagine it takes somebody having to climb to go fix them all the way uh, to the top which is Whew, they're they're very very tall. Uh, yeah, I these, wouldn't want to have that job. They're on the I know right, and then they're on the, the 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 freeways. You see them these humongous trucks with these long arms of these uh you know the the uh, the panels, um and and just the other day there was a wreck uh, on the freeway and uh, they shut down the entire freeway from one of these panels um and the eighteen wheeler that it was carrying had a wreck. So I mean there are just like with anything there are going to be issues problems, uh but I so for me I I I just want our listeners I want to understand that there is no perfect fuel. Um, solution right now and, and there are some that are coming offline that probably need to but there are, are some that are coming online that I'm I'm not so sure are better than natural gas just because of, of some of the problems they have as well but when we return I do want to talk about the fact that Texas is a huge state producing wind uh, and I want to get into that but we do have to take a quick break you're listening to in the oil patch radio show and we'll be right back In the Oil Patch Radio Show is proud to bring you this week's Energy Minute produced by shalemag.com. Here's Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your current industry update. This is Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your Energy Minute. Gasoline prices are some of the lowest in recent history, but how long will it last? The answer all centers on oil prices. While WTI continues to hover around the lowest point in the last two years, don't expect this to last. If OPEC can maintain the production cuts it agreed to a month ago, then one point 2 million barrels a day of oil will come out of the market. While analysts question the ability of the conglomerate to maintain the cuts over time, if the cuts hold, then this should balance the market and push oil prices higher. If refining margins hold steady, then every added dollar for a barrel of oil should add just over two cents to a gallon of gas. WTI closed yesterday up 50 cents to end the day at $46.83 per barrel. This is Ryan Sitton, and that's your Energy Minute. Listen to In the Oil Patch Radio and keep up with the oil and gas industry online at shalemag.com. 
Plan your next meeting or event at Victoria College's Emerging Technology Complex, home to the state-of-the-art conference and education center, conveniently located between Houston and Corpus Christi. The center hosts meetings, educational workshops, and banquets for up to 300 people with the latest in technology amenities and ample parking. Let their professional meeting planners make your next event a success. For more information, go to conferenceinvictoria.com. Once again, that's conferenceinvictoria.com. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. And David, this past segment, we were talking about uh, the coal fire power plants, a, uh, a research paper that came out, a new study from Rice University discussing the benefits or um, not really the benefits, but what is happening right now with coal fire plants kind of being taken off the grid and wind and solar coming on. And I want to get your opinion on Texas because we're a huge state producing uh, huge amounts of wind. So tell me a little bit about how big is it in the state of Texas for us? It's huge uh, compared to other states. I mean, far and away, Texas produces far more wind power than any other state. I think uh, the latest numbers from, uh, you know, the Texas grid is that uh, we got, a, the ERCOT got about 18% of its uh, total uh, power generation from wind uh, during the first nine months of 2018. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty significant percentage when you consider that nationally it's less than 2 or 3% nationally. So Texas uh, enacted a uh, renewable fuel standard back in, I think, the 99 session of the legislature. I could be off by one session on that. It could have been 01. But, um, you know, since, since you implemented that, uh, that standard, uh, the utility companies were incentivized to, to put in, to install wind power. And they've done that, and it's you know it's worked out very well. It's it's been expensive at times. Uh, we spent seven billion dollars on the Cres lines, uh, the the power lines coming from West Texas and bringing the the wind power into the Houston and Austin and Corpus Christi markets on the Gulf Coast. But uh, you know, uh, but it, that's all been you know, those costs are all sunk and and monetized now. And so it's, you know, it just Texas has, when you really look at the Texas grid and how we generate our power in this state, about half of it's from natural gas, maybe a quarter of it's from coal, and then you have nuclear and wind and solar filling in the rest of it at this point. And it's a much more diverse generating uh, capacity situation in Texas than it is in most other states. So we have... You know, Texas is Texas. We have an embarrassment of riches and natural resources and sunshine and wind, and, and we're taking advantage of all of it. Well, God bless Texas for all God these bless. resources. Yeah. But I do have a question about, so my understanding is these wind farms, uh, these windmills really do 
wound up killing a lot of birds. And and if we remember anything about Eagle Ford Shell and even Permian Basin, the, the Midland area, where there were a lot of environmentalists uh, trying to protect in, in endangered species and uh, the prairie chicken and stuff. Where, where? Uh, I mean, is there not a problem with the birds? Because there's a lot of birds being killed by by uh, these wind farms. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of the unfortunate aspects of wind power. It's the second uh, largest uh, bird killer on the face of the earth behind power lines. Um, you know, and it's a problem that the wind industry has had to try to cope with over the years. The Obama administration. And really, the Bush administration before that uh, were very generous at, at granting waivers to these wind farms, uh, you know, allowing them to kill X number of birds without any fines. Whereas ExxonMobil, I remember, once was fined something like a million dollars when when a bald eagle accidentally fell into one of its tanks and and, and was killed. Uh, you know, wind farms have exemptions uh, to kill eagles and condors in California and, and all that. Um, and that's just the decision that the government's made uh, in order to incentivize these renewable fuels. Um, but, you know, animal rights activists, uh, it's interesting in the environmental community because animal rights activists at PETA and these other animal rights organizations are not really very fond of, of wind power for that reason. Mm, interesting. Well, I don't want to make the, the, the entire show about coal because we normally speak a lot about oil and gas. However, there was another interesting article in Forbes this past week um, showing how coal consumption in the U.S. under President Trump has actually lower, it's actually lower than it was under the Obama administration. So, isn't this kind of going against the narrative that we see in the news media or the main media? Because typically, that's not what they want to discuss. Yeah, and I, you know, and I actually wrote a piece in Shell Magazine back in 2017 about all this and how it was really going to play out. Uh, the president, you know, talked a lot about wanting to try to save the coal industry and all these coal jobs. Uh, but the reality is it's, it's simple economics uh, that were already baked into the cake. Uh, all these utility companies had already made these economic and a billion, multi-billion dollar economic decisions to retire uh, a lot of these older generation coal plants and replace them with natural gas and wind and solar. Uh, and that all, those decisions were made before President Trump took office. Now, President Trump has uh, revived the coal industry to the extent that he has uh, reduced regulations and inhibition inhibitors. Uh, in the regulatory realm uh, against them exporting coal. And so coal exports, while while power generation for coal has fallen off the cliff during the Trump administration, exports of U.S. coal to China and India and other countries that burn a lot of coal in power generation have almost doubled since President Trump took office. So it's it's kind of a mixed bag. But, yeah, I mean, uh, reality is President Trump, coal power generation, during 2018 was less in the Trump administration than in every administration since the Carter administration. So it's been a very significant decrease over the past two years. Very interesting. You know, um, we seems like every single show that we do, there is always discussions of the oil prices. And, and these days, it almost seems like we truly are living uh, in a, a time where 
it has really become the wild, wild west. So when we get back from break, I want to talk once again about oil prices and where they landed at the end of the year and some thoughts on uh, what's going on out there. But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to and the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Agreco has been powering the Permian Basin for over 10 years, supporting Permian producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. Agreco supports power systems as small as a single 200 kilowatt to as large as a 50 megawatt power plant. So when your utility power is delayed, call on Agreco to engineer a diesel, natural gas, or battery solution to fit your needs. We have immediate availability right here in the Permian Basin. Call 1-800-AGRECO or online agreco.com. Oilfield Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, Oilfield Experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto. Today, we're being joined by David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. And David, before the break, we were discussing a lot about coal, wind, and solar uh, sources of energy, including natural gas. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about oil prices, world oil prices, because it just, it, it, it consistently is changing. Um, we dropped all the way down to $42 at the end of the year. Um, and so the WTI price recovered somewhat this week, even though the financial markets remained in a state of turmoil. You know, everybody was watching the stock markets too. And I guess for me, um, some of the things that probably uh, people are not sure how to read this is we've got low uh, prices at the gas pump, but the stock market is going crazy. Oil prices are dropping. What the heck is going on out there? Yeah, I mean, of course, because oil prices are dropping, that, that causes gasoline prices to drop as well. So that's, you know, it's been good news for consumers. Um, we did uh, see the price per crude go up about $5 early in the week, first few days of the week. And that was due to a couple of things. Uh, the, the dollar got a little weaker and uh, the dollar and crude oil prices have an inverse relationship. So when the dollar gets weaker, uh, crude prices uh, tend to go up, and when the dollar gets stronger and can buy more with each dollar, uh, crude prices tend to go down. Uh, and then the second thing that was going on early in the week was that OPEC uh, announced that it had very dramatically cut its output during uh, December in the wake of their agreement to take 1.2 million barrels a day off the market. Uh, they actually followed through pretty well on that. I think they took six or 700,000 barrels off the market in, in December, barrels per day, and uh, they're going to get the rest of it done in January. And, you know, so the so the market's reacted to that because the less exports that are going on the market, uh, the better chance we have of balancing supply and demand. And, and 
you know, I think it's just, you know, that's what we're going to see throughout January, February, March here is, is, uh, the market kind of react to what OPEC's doing. And, um, and we'll go from there. Hopefully if OPEC can be consistent, then, you know, maybe we'll see the, the price would go up fairly significantly. So, so David, do you see that, um, we're going to have maybe a new upward trend in oil prices? Um, or is this just another blip on the screen? Because I think that there's a lot of other issues that are actually also causing problems for the stock market. I'm not so sure of oil and gas prices, but so there's a lot going on. So is this, so is this going to be a trend that we're going to go up on our oil prices despite everything else? I, I do think so. I, you know, the oil prices to some extent end up getting tangled up in the stock market, whatever, you know, the stock market takes a real big nosedive, oil prices tend to dive with it and vice versa. But I think here over the last couple of weeks, we've seen that kind of get decoupled from one another because there's there's a growing realization that what's going on in the stock market is more reaction to the political instability in the United States, with the Democrats taking over power in the House and what that's going to mean on impeachment, and then an overreaction to news that China's economy is taking the brunt of this trade war with the United States, America's economy is just chugging along just fine, uh, continuing to add jobs. We added another 271,000 jobs in December, you know. Uh, but China's economy is slowing down, and, and it's because of this trade war. So until that trade war, you know, a trade agreement is reached between the United States and China, and I still believe that's going to happen in the first quarter this year, um, then we're going to continue to see this turmoil in the stock market. And... Uh, but the crude prices, I just think, are going to more and more react to what OPEC does here in the coming two or three months. And I think that'll be good news for crude prices. Interesting. And just talking a little off topic, though. So you know, you're saying that you believe that we will come to some kind of an agreement with China because of their economy here in the first quarter. Um, do they have very much longer after that to continue to keep playing chicken with, with uh, President Trump? Or do you think that they've already well, seen... This is a problem for y'all. <laughs> Very big yeah, problem. Yeah, it, it just depends on on how much damage they're willing to sustain. Um, China has to have the U.S. market, and if that means uh, a new deal on tariffs, ultimately uh, President Xi is going to do that. Uh, it just depends on how much damage uh, he's willing to sustain before he capitulates. Basically, I mean, I don't think it's going to be complete capitulation, but there's going to be a new deal that will be more favorable to the United States at the end of this process. That's how it's going to come out. It's just a a matter of when that happens. Just like the NAFTA thing was inevitable. It was going to come out to a more favorable agreement to the United States. It was just a matter of timing. And uh, I think the timing is going to be pretty soon. Interesting. Well, David, when we return from break, I want to get into the drillers because they're also having to respond to these lower prices. So I want to get your thoughts on that. But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Visit our website, shalemag.com. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. 
David, we've talked about oil prices and obviously, uh, you know, in the month of December, uh, a little bit of November, the prices were really up and down, mostly down. And as a result of that, a lot of we saw a lot of stories uh, this week, actually, in the news talking about how oil and gas producers are starting to cut their drilling budgets, especially in the first half of 2019, because of the response to this lower, lower prices. Um, And so if I remember correctly, this was something that you were predicting as well that we would start seeing this so how extensive though since you you saw this coming how extensive are these these cutbacks going to be when we talk about drilling well you know they're probably going to be on the margins at least for the first few months of the year i think you'll see companies you know i I saw one report one of the bigger producers out in the permian said it was going to cut its drilling program down from 24 active rigs to 21 right so that's what 15 percent of their drilling budget for the first quarter of the year. Uh, and I think you'll see uh, quite a few of the bigger companies do that. Um, and then you'll get towards the end of the first quarter, and they'll take a look and see where prices are at that point and what uh, supply and demand globally looks like and make a decision for the next three months. I, you know, most years, a company will set a budget for the first half of the year and just execute that budget through the first half of the year. Uh, and then reassess in July. Well, this year, I think you're going to see these companies go to go to more short-term planning as they reassess where prices are heading uh, throughout the year. So I think we'll, it'll be pretty marginal cuts first three months of the year. If the price is still sitting around 45 at the end of March, then you're going to see more significant cuts for the second quarter of the year. And, and they'll continue cutting until the price starts rising again. Uh, basically is what's going to happen. Interesting. Let's jump into natural gas as well. You had predicted as well, so um, I need to rename you my little crystal ball, Um, but you were predicting that uh, natural gas was going to fall back in line, and sure enough, it's back to $3 MMB to you this week. And after a pretty nice run in November, December, are you hoping, what are you hoping for? Are we going to get another nice run before winter's over, do you think? Well, I wish I'd have been wrong about that one, but uh, it was pretty easy to predict. There's... um no, I don't think we'll have another significant run this winter. I, you know, even if you have a big cold snap at this point, it's getting kind of late in the day, and uh, it just hasn't been cold enough in the Northeast and in the Midwest for a long period of time to really have a significant impact on prices. So uh, I just think we're back to that three dollar in MNBTU scenario, where we're just going to be for quite some time, and that's just the way it is. Interesting. Uh, The Midland Reporter Telegram carried a story that was talking about the potential for the Permian Basin to basically become the Marcellus West. So is that really possible? Oh, yeah. yeah. And there's so much natural gas out there. It's, you know, the Permian Basin, is it's so funny. If you look at the rig counts and and they'll tell you whether uh, the rig is drilling in a well or a gas well, you look at that for the Permian Basin, there's not a single rig out there that's drilling a natural gas well. And yet, you know, they're all drilling wells that will be classified as oil wells by the Railroad Commission. But there's so much associated natural gas with all that crude oil out there that the Permian Basin's already the second biggest producing basin for natural gas in the country. It's bigger than the Barnett, bigger than the Haynesville, you know, bigger than all these other gas producing basins already. And as you get that pipeline infrastructure built out 
to bring all that gas to market, you'll see all the flares that are happening out there right now go away, and all that gas will be taken to market, and it'll be even bigger production after that. So uh, every oil well that gets drilled out there has a lot of natural gas associated with it, and it's all eventually going to make its way to market. So, yeah, it's going to be a big boom. You know, just another embarrassment of riches out there in West Texas. Interesting. So there's a lot of natural gas going on out there. Was there any other, just historically, any other shell plays that kind of were doing the same thing, that they really weren't looking for natural gas, but they found it? Wasn't Eagle Ford a part of that as well? They had a lot of natural gas included in in, uh, the crude oil as well. Yeah, there's so much natural gas in Eagle Ford. I mean, the the problem with the Eagle Ford natural gas, the, the eastern, southeastern third of that formation is dry gas. But it's so deep and so expensive to drill that companies aren't drilling for it yet to any great extent. Uh, but eventually, you know, ultimately, there is just a massive amount of natural gas in Eagle Ford Shell that ultimately, you know, years from now will be produced. And uh, I wish it was sooner because my family has a little farm uh, and we own the mineral rights, but it's 15,000 feet deep under our land. So it's, uh, it's going to be a while before we get a lease out there. You know, I think, though, for us, that we should all understand how how really, I mean, we have all these different alternative fuel sources, coal, which is starting to come off, there's nuclear, and then, of course, there is this clean, burning natural gas. And if we really, it's it's cheap, it's inexpensive, um, it, you know, lights our homes, <clears throat> we have a lot of city buses and a lot of the urban uh, large uh, cities that are using natural gas buses because they they are it's cheap and it and again it it burns clean. Um, this is a really likable um, resource, and um, to see that we are sitting on so much of it, uh, not only you know we can use it now, but also very very much in the future, and of course sell it to other countries who um, who we they want to do business with the United States. It's 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 great. It's great news. So David, when we return, I want to get on the topic of. Uh, what's going on in Congress and talk a little bit about some of the politics pertaining to oil and gas. Uh, But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to End the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. You know, great companies take great care of their employees. Ensure the well-being of your workforce with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired till the day they retire. From pre-employment screenings to routine immunizations to on-site injury care and more, trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your workforce health care needs. Health care that comes to you. Call 866-334-2485. Again, that's 1-866-334-2485. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. 
The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. And we're back. Our guest today is David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. David, we've talked a lot about energy prices, oil and gas, and all the different types of uh, energy resources that are out there. But I do want to switch gears because politics is so important when we talk about oil and gas. So I want to talk about the new Congress. Um, They were sworn in on Thursday um, with Democrats now in charge of the House and the Republicans in control of the Senate. This is going to shift that power I'm curious, how much do you think this is going to impact the national energy policy? Because that is concerning to me. Yeah, I, it's not going to have any real impact other than, you know, nothing's going to get done for the next two years um, in terms of legislation. Um, you know, we'll still have regulatory efforts at the Department of Interior and the Energy Department uh, and other departments of the federal government that deal with energy-related issues. But in terms of getting a bill through Congress, uh, trust me, the Senate and the House aren't going to agree on anything related to energy or the environment. So it'll be gridlock. Um, and that's not all bad. You, you know, there's been so much change uh, over the last six or eight years. It, it, it'll be good to have a two-year break um, for companies to absorb it all and get their processes completely in place. And then we'll just wait and see how the 2020 elections go uh, to see if uh, – Either party can take full control of Congress. If that happens, then Katie bar the door again. Here we go. What about the government shutdown? I mean, do you see any clear path to resolution? I mean, it doesn't seem like to me President Trump is in any hurry to do anything. It doesn't seem like the Democrats are in any hurry to do anything either. No, I don't think he is. I don't think either of them are at this moment in time. Um, I think the president has just decided that, uh, you know, he's going to get nothing but bad press anyway. Um uh, and there's just no reason for him to 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 be the one who gives up the ghost here. I think the Democrats feel the same way. You know, they have the news media on their side, and and all the reporting is going to be slanted in their favor. The one wild card here is that, you know, we're now in January, where the first two weeks of the shutdown, nobody was losing a paycheck uh, just because of leftover funds and were able to cover everybody's paycheck for the last two weeks of the year. Now, in January... You're going to have a few hundred thousand federal workers that are going to be working for free uh, because they don't have the funds to cover paychecks. Uh, probably 90 percent of those folks are Democrats. They're Democrat constituents, not Republican constituents. And so they're, they're going to be complaining to their members of Congress about this, not the president. And I do think as this month goes on, you're probably going to see more and more pressure on the Democrats actually, in Congress to compromise on this issue and and try to find at least some way that both they and the president can save a little face in a compromise. Um, But right now, at least probably for the next at least week, uh, I don't really expect to see any movement from either side. You know, it's strange to me to think that there was more money in there for giving out to other governments than there was for border security. And and I do hear the Democrats saying that they are for border security, but when there's no money in there, it, it's it's kind of hard to, to wrap your head around that. Let's let's talk about energy policy on federal lands. Um, David Bernhardt, now the acting interior secretary replacing Ryan Zinke. Um, do you see any big shifts coming in that area? 
Uh, not really, no. I think Bernhardt um, is, you know, he's a guy. He's he served as the uh, uh, Inspector General at the Interior Department during the Bush years. Um, he's fully on board with uh, Secretary Zinke's agenda for reorganizing the department and speeding up leasing and and oil and gas drilling operations on federal lands. And I don't really think you'll see any significant changes in any of that. And then, of course, the Secretary Zinke was also planning to completely reorganize the Department of Interior and move the Bureau of Land Management, for example, to move their headquarters from Washington, D.C. out to Denver so it could be closer to all those federal lands that dominate the western half of the United States. Um, and I think you'll see that continue to move forward. Um, so I, I, I just think this is, you know, you're going to have a new guy there, but the policy is going to remain largely the same. So um, in saying that, is this guy going to get confirmed or uh, in the future? Or since he's pretty much looking like he's following Ryan Zinke, is that going to be a problem for the Democrats? I mean, the Democrats won't like it, but I, I, I think ultimately he gets confirmed, uh, you know, uh, because they know that they're not going to like anybody. President Trump sends up for that position. So, yeah, I think he'll end up getting exactly the seven Democratic votes that he needs to be confirmed at some point soon. Very interesting stuff, David. And so now I'm really uh, excited to talk to you a little bit about um, this upcoming year, some of the changes that we're doing to the show. And of course, you're not going anywhere. You're still going to be a part of our show. Um, And we look forward to having you back this year. Uh, You know, we've gotten a lot of questions that come in through either our email um, or through our social media platforms. Um, asking questions to you or asking questions about water issues. Um, there's also been questions on seismicity, just things that that most people want to know about. And uh, we've never really had a, a vehicle to, to get their questions answered. Um, and so this year we decided to implement a live show at least once a month to uh, funnel questions that are coming in uh, live from an individual who might want to ask Um, questions on oil and gas and of course anything pertaining to the environment Um, our our expert who will be fielding those questions is John Tatera who is the uh, president and CEO of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers so I don't know about you but I'm really excited because you and I talk on this show all the time about how much bad information is out there and there's really nowhere for them to to, to ask these questions that they may have. So right. um, yeah. we're excited. I'm excited um, to have John Tatera coming on. And, um, and and I'd like to also encourage our listeners, if they have questions now, we're already taking questions to, to be uh, aired on the, the radio show in February. February 1st is actually, David, the day that we we, we start our, our show with uh, John Tatera answering questions live. So I am very, very excited. Been waiting uh, to try to do something like this for probably about a year now. No, it, it'll be great. John's a fantastic resource. He just knows everything there is to know about the regulatory environment here in Texas and, and nationally as well, the EPA. And he's just... Uh, It'll be fantastic doing that. You know, with him being uh, working with TCEQ, which is the air quality, working for the Texas Railroad Commission, being a geologist as well, um, he just really has a lot of knowledge. And um, I am excited that for once, um, the listeners are going to be able to ask questions and get an answer right then and there back to them. Um, So 
I'm excited. I think it's going to be a, a great opportunity for us to to uh, get some information out there to the general public. But David, that is all the time we have for this week's show. And I look forward to having you back on next week when, of course, we'll be talking all things energy, what's going on at Shell Magazine, and of course, even probably a little bit of some uh, what's happening uh, with Trump and, of course, our Congress. Great. I'll look forward to it. Well, that's all the time that we have for this show, but please be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash in the oil patch. Or follow us on Twitter at ShellMag. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G. And if you have any questions for me, or if you have questions on oil and gas, I encourage you to email me at radio at shellmag.com. That's going to wrap up another great show. See you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then... Adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.